I think that's why these shows appeal to us, the futuristic elements of them, this idea that you can become virtualized, that you can leave the quote-unquote prison of the body. That's the will to virtuality. And of course, all of these digital platforms, these applications, reinforce what has always probably been part of human nature, this will to virtualize ourselves. Consciousness, the notion of the self, personality structure, transactional analysis, symbiosis, Zen Buddhism, teacher-student, relationships, training yourself in how to think. To subvert is to undermine the existing system of inscribed power and authority. What's happening in the digital space? The virtual world. Much of us live in a hyper-stimulated present where language itself has become the info currency in the sequence of corporate capitalism. The injunction of the virtual world is... The gatekeepers of our speech and written word are global tech monopolies. We cannot transcend or go beyond our lack through craving. What are we going to do? How are we going to live our life? The subversive therapist is about what the virtual world is doing to us and what we can do about it. Welcome to the subversive therapist. I'm Andrew Archer. Thanks for listening. So I've went back and rewatched Black Mirror the five different seasons i really liked it the first time i watched it uh, as they came out and so i went back and i kind of watched the episodes uh seeing through the lens of uh, my kind of thesis or critique of the virtual world and so i wrote a little bit about this uh, to kind of start off a, a dialogue about it or more so a monologue but I want to put a spoiler alert. I'm going to ruin these episodes for you. Unless you've already watched them, you might not mind it being uh, spoiled or maybe uh, watch them and come back to this or vice versa. But the first episode is from uh, season four of Black Mirror. It's uh, titled Hang the DJ. So what I wrote was, the, with the virtual world, online friends are suggested and followers are calculated based on others like you. And so this is what I'm thinking of in terms of algorithmic relationships, that it's based on machine learning, uh, statistically correlating information data about you to predict others who uh, will be like you. And Byung-Chul Han, who I've mentioned on this podcast, specifically with the idea of the digital panoptica or panopticon he notes the additive and conformist nature of the digital space where the same repeats the same that's how you get maximal velocity with telecommunications is just by repeating the same frames of reference so the virtual world becomes more narrowly focused i.e conformist with each successive piece of data about the user as it algorithmically compares the user's activity to others uh, like them or like you. Uh, This process is a reverse spiral closing in on itself, a relational panoptica. And I don't know exactly what I meant by that, but this episode kind of speaks to that uh, relational panoptica based on, you know, sharing our data in order to connect quote-unquote connect with with others so in season four of black mirror the fourth episode is titled hang the dj the setup for the episode can be summarized as a highly structured 
algorithmic form of uh, dating with both a Tinder-like component, instant gratification, uh, merged with the quote-unquote here-for-real-love sentiment of eHarmony. So what happens is individuals match with prospective intimate partners by a computer system. We're introduced to Amy and Frank, uh, matched as the episode begins, and they're highlighted in their various dating experiences. So the relationships are shallow and transactional, quite literally. Each successive intimate connection ends with a handshake, a hug, simple goodbye, or disdained exit as everyone goes their separate directions. Immediately after the relationship ends, this algorithmic dating system prompts the newly single person with a new match. So right after they part ways from this um, manufactured uh, courtship, then the computer um, instantly tells them, oh, you're matched with this other person. The instantaneousness of the matches eliminates one's ability to self-reflect or think critically about the relational experience. So they don't sit and ponder kind of what happened and what went wrong and go over it. They're just, boom, matched into another uh, experience. The injunction is don't think, meaning don't reflect, and don't remember. Uh, There's conformist attributions of obedience, transparency, and submission to the digital algorithm driving the ethos and pathos of the social system. Uh, there's a, a quote in here from uh, one of the, the characters. They say, each time you get a little bit more pliable, a little bit more broken, until eventually it cough, coughs up the final offering and says, that's the one. And by that point, you are so defeated and so exhausted that you just accept it. You settle. And then you have to live the rest of your life convincing yourself you didn't. The people are automatically set up in a dating relationship for a fixed duration. The computerized system ultimately decides for each participant who their lifelong partner will be. The catch is that the digitally matched courtship has an automated time-stamped expiration. The people are together for 12 hours, 5 months, a year, 5 years. That's why it's kind of like Tinder, but it's also like eHarmony. Uh, they're matched right away, but it's meant to find your perfect uh, mate is the setup for this. And I'm not going over the entire episode. It's definitely worth watching. The system structures all the participants' time. Meals are automated, directions are ordered, and small self-driving vehicles shuttle them to their sleeping quarters. Therefore, the individuals are mindlessly guided to their standardized or cookie-cutter dwellings. Inside, awaiting the couple, is a pre-configured intimate space that is assembled with pre-selected music and a lit fireplace. The senseless nature, meaning all of the the senses are um, understood for the individual. The computer is is sensing for them. The senseless nature of the situation prohibits time for contemplation when they are given each instantaneous new relationship. When the participants have a question, there's a circular wearable device with a digital coach. The coach responds with information as their anytime or more so all the time virtual assistant. The information of the coach is in their ear for reflexive responses, a symbiotic relationship whereby the facts of the environment, i.e. information, is provided automatically. So they know all kinds of information about the person, but it's really just data. It's not a story. They don't know about the person based on intuition. It's just fact-based. For example, the person or both parties 
simply tap on their individual screen to reveal the expiration time. So that's, in a sense, about all the effort they have to do is tap on a screen. And so this example is, is meant to represent how we're fulfilling this mindlessness script, this going nowhere script, because everything is being thought of for us. You know, the fireplace is lit, the music, everything is assembled uh, so the person doesn't have to do any uh, thinking uh, themselves. Now, the other episode I wanted to talk about is from season two. It's titled White Bear. A little bit darker of an episode, but again, uh, thinking about these things that I've went over in the podcast, if you can see it through the lens of this digital panopticon um, where everybody is surveilling everybody else, uh, it becomes pretty interesting, maybe not the entire episode, but so this, this is from season two, it's the second episode. Uh, we're introduced to a woman, Victoria, who's just uh, awoken from sleeping in her apartment with no memory of who she is or how she got there. Uh, Victoria sees a white Tetris-like symbol or glyph on the television screens in her home. It's like, uh, it kind of looks like an upside-down U with a line above it. These images trigger just disjointed memories for her. She leaves her residence and walks around outside only to find every person she encounters is filming her with their cell phones. She meanders through her neighborhood as the residents are propped up in their windowsills holding up their screens. And this is a form of double-paned glass. We have the screen in their hand plus the window which protects them from actual quote-unquote reality. The glassy screens act as transparent objects for the passage of light while blocking the capacity for empathy. So this goes back to Franco Berardi uh, calling these this virtual world an unempathy kind of machine, and where we create distance between ourselves and other people through these um, technological devices. Uh, and one of the quotes from the episodes talking about this this setup of what's happening, where everybody's filming um, Victoria, uh, they said. They did something to people, like almost everybody just became onlookers, started watching, filming stuff, like spectators who don't give a shit about what happens. So Victoria is chased by a masked man with a shotgun and is ostensibly rescued by a young woman named Jem. Jem explains to Victoria that the symbol began appearing on television screens and mobile devices, which turned most people into passive viewers. And that's kind of my critique as well, is this uh, passivity that is due to the symbiotic uh, relationship we're in with the virtual world. Victoria and Jem are not affected by this mesmerizing, but they're also a target for the sadistic hunters. An example, there's a female with a giant bunny mask wielding an electric knife and a man with a welder's helmet brandishing a baseball bat. Victoria and Jem narrowly escape execution and flee together. Jem plans to reach transmitter at the White Bear facility to destroy it. Victoria and her protector make it to a facility that broadcasts the signal. Inside, they are confronted by the masked female and male. Victoria acquires the shotgun and pulls the trigger to shoot the male hunter, but it produces a spray of confetti. 
The room they are in suddenly opens and the viewer realizes that Victoria Gem and the Hunters are all on a stage, seen by an enthusiastic audience. The people, the people are all wielding their cameras to capture the moment. All the previous events of the day had been staged. Victoria is strapped to a chair and informed of her criminal offenses, abduction, murder, filming the crime. She has been sentenced to undergo daily psychological punishment at the White Bear Justice Park facility. Victoria is returned to her compound where she awoke. She is tortured while, while simultaneously having her memory wiped clean of the day's events. In, es in essence, she will live the same day repeatedly as part of her punishment. The hunters and Jem are actors and the participants are part of a daily show. Not unlike the film, The Truman Show, or the novel, The Memory Police, these participants actively take part in creating a simulated world that is managed by the constant surveillance and the collection of data by a centralized force, i.e. a digital panopticon. The distinction between the quote-unquote real world and virtual world collapses in these scenes. Actor and stage, participant and viewer, user and digital world productions dissolve into one thing. And that's what I'm saying is happening now. The participants at the White Bear Justice Park are given three instructions. No talking, keep your distance, and enjoy yourself. These are the directions for the virtual world. Bodies are separated. Talking means writing slash texting. And everything online is for our own selfish entertainment. The attribution is be self-righteous. That's what cancel culture is all about. Uh, look how terrible this person is. Look what they've done. Look who they are. Um, and that's the kind of enjoyment in White Bear is that watching this person suffer. The actors and the participants are enforcing the rules of this hyperculture whereby everything is recorded, documented, and circulated in real time. So go back and watch some of these episodes if you haven't. What I think is interesting is that Black Mirror is one of the few subversive um, shows that you can find uh, these days. But I was wondering as I was looking at these episodes, because of how subversive it, subversive it is, why would they allow this show um, to be on? And it's on because... It, it doesn't question uh, what's called Cartesian dualism. Uh, Cartesianism uh, is from Descartes. Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. He, he exists because he can think about himself. Uh, Rob Urey in his book Zen Economics says, Descartes could have made a peanut butter sandwich or stubbed his toe and just as easily said he exists. Uh, but because of the nature of the ego, which believes itself to be an object, and that's how we have subjectivity. I can say I put on a hat by myself. All of that is dualistic. There's only the body and the hat, and they become one. But we can bifurcate that and, and say I, a separate me, put on the hat myself. And I'm using this as an example because this is what kids kids will say when they're three years old about. So memory, consciousness, uh, these are separate from the body. That's what Black Mirror 
um, promotes, and that's why it really isn't all that subversive. You cannot have consciousness without a body. Uh, consciousness, body, they're not two, not one. So in these different episodes, memory is disembodied. This is not, this is not correct. Memory isn't accurate, for one, uh, but it's based on an identity, an idea of who you are. And it's not fixed across time like is presented in these episodes. I think it gives us a way to talk about what's happening with technology, but it follows hyper what I call hyper-individualism, which is there's me, this idea of me, ego or self, that is separate from the world, which of course authorizes me to acquire and take and dominate nature and all that stuff, uh, not, not least of which consume and buy products, commodities, um, to deal with that sense of lack that uh, that's intrinsic to the ego. And this is what I wanted to, to get at because I'm reading this book called Data Trash uh, by Arthur Croker. It's very interesting. came out in 1993. He talks about the will to virtuality. And so he's talking about actually what, what's happening with electronics and technology and where the Internet is headed, basically. But the ego uh, has a will to virtuality. It wants to, uh, because it believes itself to be an object, wants to separate from the body. And I think that's why these shows appeal to us, the, f the futuristic elements of them, this idea that you can become virtualized that you can leave the quote-unquote prison of the body. That's the will to virtuality. And of course, all of these, um, these digital platforms, these applications, reinforce what is probably, what has always probably been part of human nature, this will to virtualize ourselves, whether it's, you know, to be in heaven when we die or to transcend the body, enlightenment, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's a problem of the ego. That's uh, in, in Buddhist circles, they talk about the subject-object problem or the mind-body problem. Um, how far do we separate mind and body? You know, we have physical illnesses, we have psychological illnesses. That is all a manifestation of this Cartesian dualism uh, that really just supports things like capitalism, uh, certainly individualism. And my critique is that we need a middle ground between this egotistical or hyper-individualistic way of being and collectivism or tribalism, uh, where you basically have no identity at all. Zen, in my opinion, is the, the middle path. Of course, there's individuality, but the aim is to wake up other people to understand and actualize emptiness, to live as the moment, not as a separate actor, um, this, you know, reification of a disembodied ego. So <clears throat> I could go on and on about this, but watch some of the Black Mirror episodes. I think Hang the DJ is one of the better ones. White Bear is extremely disturbing and tough to watch a lot of season five as well 
But think about what you understand about consciousness, what I've been talking about on this podcast. Uh, the the short version of, of the series is that they depict everyone as being a complete as like in the future, more narcissism, more self-centeredness, uh, less empathy. And I think that's right to some degree. But why the series is allowed, in my opinion, is because of this Cartesian dualism, uh, consciousness and memory being somehow disembodied. I mean, that's maybe just what it makes it interesting as a show. But consider that as you um, watch it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. This is the Subversive Therapist with Andrew Archer. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.